my perfectionism. (laughs) It often holds me back from simply starting projects. That's one of the things that I've realized I do better when I get thrown into something and have to swim instead of drown. That's been the struggle is kind of balancing that, but I think I'm pretty proud of how I've been able to navigate it. As creatives, creators, doers, how can we get over perfectionism to just take action in what we want to do? How can we most effectively storytell sustainability in a way that's inclusive and engaging so that we can grow this movement more quickly? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Connecta, which is a digital sourcing platform connecting ethical brands and suppliers to retail buyers across the globe. So if you're a conscious business owner of a retailer or the founder of a conscious fashion or lifestyle brand, this is a platform that can really support, streamline, and elevate your work. I'll share a key insight from its co-founder later, but if you want to check it out first, you can head to connecta.co. That's K-A-N-E-K-T-A dot C-O. And now to our episode, let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is a pioneering podcaster in the sustainable fashion space, host and producer of Conscious Chatter. If you don't already know the show, be sure to bookmark it and check it out. I'm an avid listener myself. This host of the podcast, she's a multimedia storyteller. She writes, speaks, styles, designs, photographs, models. I don't know what you can't do, honestly. If you're in the conscious fashion world and don't already know her, trust me, you will. She's currently working on her own fashion brand with a co-founder, actually. The brand is called Left Edit, and it's going to launch on Kickstarter later in the fall. So check the show notes for links to all of the amazing things that she's working on. But for now, Green Dreamer starting off with what got her into the field of sustainable fashion. Here's Kestrel Jenkins. I studied international journalism and global studies in college. And after that, I was really enthralled with the idea of fair trade. It made a lot of sense to me business-wise because I had learned a lot about how products or ideas or people move around the globe and how they you know, impact uh, the environment and people along the way and vice versa. So I was really interested in this concept of fair trade. And I finished college, had no idea really what I was going to do and was actually living back home with my parents and trying to get get it in a new direction. And my mom got a catalog from a company called Fair Indigo, which was a group of people that had worked at Land's End and they ended up spinning off and starting this company in the Midwest. And it was all fair trade apparel. And so she's like, Cass, what about fashion? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. So I started doing a bunch of research and I discovered People Tree, which they call themselves the pioneer in fair trade fashion. And I was like, okay, this is my company. I need to intern with them. It has to happen. And so I just like emailed them pretty much every single week. And eventually serious dedication, but it worked. (laughs) It ended up working. Yeah. I got an email from the PR manager and they were like, hey, can you pop by the office this week? And I'm like, well, 
can't really pop by the office because you're in London and I'm in the US, but <laughs> I can get on a, a phone call or an interview. Um, and so then I had a phone call and then it happened. So I got to live there for six months and, and then learn from that company. Mm, so persistence was key in making this opportunity happen for yourself. It definitely was in this case. Yeah, I think I think at first, <laughs> a lot of the people in the office didn't want to accept me <laughs> because they're like, this is a crazy American girl we kept hearing from. But then they realized I just had a lot of passion. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what was one of those things you learned about sustainable fashion from this experience that still really sticks with you today? So when I was at People Tree, their founder, Safia Mini, suggested that I go to Wales for this fair trade event that she was supposed to be speaking at. And she suggested that I, which I was an intern at the time, that I give her presentation. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, this is amazing. And so I got handed over this presentation and I was researching everything in it and trying to get a good hold on all of the facts and things. And one of the statistics that jumped out at me in the presentation was about cotton farmers in India. And it outlined, according to India's National Crime Records Bureau, that in India alone between 1993 and 2003, 100,248 farmers had committed suicide. And so that was just like, to me, mind boggling. I'm like, how is this possible? What is going on with this? And it's still a bit of a contentious debate, depending on who's talking about it. But it suggested that, you know, the suicide rate is so high because both the debt that the Indian cotton farmers face, because they don't get paid for their crop until the end of the season. And then they also have to pay for genetically modified cottonseed because that basically runs the show over there. And the price of that has continued to go up from Monsanto. And then also they are using chemicals constantly, spraying them on the crops because it's BT seed. So there's like this crazy vicious cycle going on and it's continues today. And I guess for me, it's always been a statistic that's a massive reminder of like the importance of organic agriculture and also fair wages when you think Mm. about the fashion supply chain. Yeah, that is definitely an eye opener. So you learned that and then you just kept going with this. You learned a lot more, obviously, about sustainable fashion since then. What was the journey like from first awareness of these issues to then you starting your own platforms and starting your podcast? I guess it's been a kind of all over the place journey. After I was uh, interning with People Tree in London, I ended up making my way to New York and I lived there for a couple of years and worked for Inhabitat and Ecoterre, which are online publications that write about sustainable design. And I worked with the green shows and helped produce the first eco fashion show at Mercedes-Benz. And I ended up on the West Coast then working for kind of fashion tech retail startups. And honestly, after a couple of years of doing that, I just like burnt out. I was on a computer screen way too much. And so I had to kind of like step back and reassess what was going on with how I was going to work in this space. And in that time, I was kind of like, all right, I need to figure out a way to kind of bring more people into the conversation. And I had done a project back when I was in New York called Make Fashion Fair. 
And for a year, I only purchased fair trade, sustainable fashion. I was really extreme at the time. And I posted an outfit every week kind of showcasing these different thrifted garments or, you know, fair trade pieces, whatever it was. And so I was like, how do I take that concept and apply it to a larger audience? So I started a blog called Aware World. And with that, I was featuring anybody who was really interested in asking more questions before they're making purchases about their clothing. And so I would feature people and tell their story and then tell the story about what they're wearing. That was kind of like the beginnings and I guess the origins of where I am today, trying to figure out again, this way of bringing more people in and having it be more of like, hey, I'm doing this. Like, is this something interesting to you? Just having it be like an open dialogue amongst people so we can kind of all learn together and figure things out along the way and not necessarily have to be in a situation where it's like finger pointing and like, no, don't do this. Yes, do this. I wanted it to be more of kind of like an inclusive approach. Mm, So your focus was really trying to make this accessible and a welcoming conversation and topic for people to dive into. What then inspired podcasting? A friend of mine, actually, who has a sustainable T-shirt brand called Be Kind Vibes, he was really into podcasts a couple of years ago, and he was telling me that he had been searching for sustainable fashion podcasts, and he couldn't find anything. And so he was like, Kess, you should start a podcast and talk about what you're already talking about on your blog, but do it with audio. And right away, I was like, okay, yeah, cool idea, but I have no idea how to make a podcast even though I had actually studied, you know, journalism in college and I did intern at a radio station, my initial thought was like, well, I can't make a podcast. But then my curiosity kind of got the best of me and I started researching more and looking into how difficult it would really be to start a podcast. And I realized that it actually wasn't that hard. So I bought a Blue Yeti microphone, which I'm still using right now today. And a couple of weeks later, I launched Conscious Chatter. And how much did you know about podcasting before you just launched your first episode? Honestly, pretty much nothing. I had been, you know, an avid listener of radio. I always love listening to NPR and listening to radio shows, but I was very unaware of how podcasting worked. Uh, And so my first interview, I actually had my mom interview me because she had really inspired the idea of sustainable fashion in me because she had gotten that catalog I mentioned and kind of um, helped me steer in that direction. And the audio in that first episode is absolutely horrible. So (laughs) (laughs) if anyone listens back, you can tell it is the early stage. But I guess for me, often I won't do things because I want them to be perfect. And it kind of holds me back from actually getting over this hurdle of just starting things. And so I'm proud of myself that with this, I was like, I'm putting it out into the world. I'm going to start it and see where it goes. For sure. And I feel like it takes a lot of courage too to be a pioneer in any space because there weren't any other podcasts at that time in sustainable fashion. What gave you the confidence to do something that wasn't really being done? I think... Audio has a unique ability to be almost like an easier space to get really honest in. And so for me with video, I always felt like, oh, I don't know, like people are looking at what I'm wearing and people are looking at all these different details. And I felt like, well, 
if I just put audio out into the world, it's maybe a little bit less intrusive and I can kind of like sneak it out there and test the waters a little bit more and not feel as exposed. And so I think that helped me feel less afraid of jumping in. And and also I I really had been in the space for so long that I felt like I had all the tools. I knew so many people, I had so many connections. And so I was like, I'm going to just shoot high and, you know, send messages to all these different people that I know or that people that know other people that I'm interested in interviewing and just kind of throw it out there and see what happens. Well, you know, it takes a lot of work to consistently put out high quality content as you've been doing for the past three, four years. What has been one of your greatest struggles in these past years trying to build up your platform and voice? I think I really have to go back to my perfectionism (laughs) because it often holds me back from simply starting projects. So I'm really proud of the fact that I started this project and continue to iterate on it because I'm one of those people that always wants things to be so dialed in before I even launch them, which is totally unrealistic. And I guess getting over that and allowing myself to launch the podcast and grow and like learn really quickly to develop the skills I have today has been also kind of a confidence booster for myself because I just kind of like figured out what the episode flow was going to be. Like I figured out interviewing techniques really quickly and taught myself how to edit. I kind of just threw myself into it. And I think that's one of the things that I've realized is I do better when I get thrown into something and have to, you know, swim instead of drown. And that's been the struggle is kind of balancing that. But I think that I'm pretty proud of how I've been able to navigate it. Yeah. So really just diving in and learning as you go has been really valuable for you. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And it's something that I think I've always struggled with because I have like this perfectionism thing, but then I also don't have a lot of patience. And so those two kind of combat against each other. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, and so the podcast is something that I've created on my own that I feel really proud of. Yeah, well, let's say that you wanted to start a new project today and this voice is telling you, you know, it's not good enough, it's not perfect enough. What would you tell that voice in response? Ah, that's a great question because it's so hard to know in those moments what will happen and like what I will tell the voice. But I think the what really helps me feel more empowered is that I do a lot of research around something. So if I'm interested in something, I do a ton of research and then I feel more confident with making a decision or like pushing myself forward because I have more of an overarching picture of the situation so I can dive in then. And so I think I would tell myself, do your research and then, you know, then really decide if you want to make it happen or not. For sure. So knowledge can help us feel more confident about whatever projects we're wanting to take on. Yeah, absolutely. At least it does for me. Mm -hmm. And you recently hit 100 episodes on Conscious Chatter, which is really amazing. So massive congrats on that. And Mm -hmm. you've also been featured in so many different publications online and in print. And you've spoken at major sustainable fashion panels and events. Out of all of these things, what are you most proud of having accomplished. Thank you. Um, Thank you for that. Congrats. It's exciting to see how far it's come and how many people are just doing really powerful work in this space. But I guess 
if it comes down to what I'm actually most proud of, it's kind of a random statistic, but I've recently realized that the podcast is being listened to across 99 countries. And for me to get that number, I'm like, wow, this is like a global movement. And it just feels really incredible to know that that many people around the world are seeing value in the conversation and want to be part of it. What do you think you did that was necessary to helping this reach a global audience? Uh, I think it has to do with the guests. From the beginning, I was interviewing guests from all over the world. And so I think that's really been beneficial to kind of bring, you know, listeners in from different places. Um, You know, having guests from Hong Kong or having guests from Australia or, you know, from the UK. I think that has really opened up the space and kind of helped it take on a, a journey of its own. And this is probably a really hard question to answer, but out of everyone that you've had the honor to interview and chat with over the past few years, if you were to boil like everyone's interviews down to the biggest takeaway you've had in terms of what has really helped sustainable fashion grow, what do you think that looks like? I think it has to do with collaboration. And one of the things that I've realized through talking to all these different people is a lot of times people are in their own pockets and there's not this overlap going on. And so one of the really cool things that I've heard that's happening is I've suggested, you know, a connection to a brand that they didn't know about. Or, you know, I've had uh, people tell me that they were listening to the podcast and they reached out to another guest that had been on the podcast because they saw there was a way for them to collaborate. And so I think the biggest takeaway is that we need more collaboration. And this is a conversation that's happening all over the world now. It's not like something like that I've come up with this great concept. It's definitely happening all over the place. But I think that we really need to kind of dial in on that and and work on figuring out ways to build upon different people's projects or different research around the world and move forward together versus like all being these different funnels. Yeah. So instead of looking at other people as our competition to look at them as collaborators and people that we can work with to help elevate the movement altogether. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's so many ways that we can learn from each other in the space and learn from different people and, you know, work with them. Like if someone's in your space, maybe there's a way you can work together and then you can get further faster. Like that's for me, that's what it's all about, because everyone that's in this space I feel like if you're in the space, you care about the world and you care about people. And if that's the case, like we want to get further faster because that only means that we're helping protect the environment faster and, you know, helping people's livelihood get elevated faster. For sure. We're all in this together. And speaking of taking inspiration from people around us, you inspire me a lot with everything that you do. I remember being at the Fair Trade Fashion Show in LA, watching you moderate that panel and just being so mesmerized by your presence and your way with words. And I feel like it's not easy to talk about sustainability, let alone issues within it and the dark sides within it. In your experience, what do you think we can do to help make this conversation more engaging? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that it's something that I'm constantly challenged with. And I think we all in the space that are, are, you know, being vocal need to work on. And I think this idea of talking about all the negative things about the fashion industry is important because the realities of the world are important for us to understand in order to, to want to respond to them. But at the same time, I think the way into the conversation I found 
helping it be a bit more positive has helped me kind of expand my voice because it's like no one likes to be told that they're doing things wrong. I mean, if you're if someone tells you you're doing things wrong, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I'm going to shut down and probably not respond to you right now or I'm going to get angry or I'm going to get like upset or whatever it might be. So I think really trying to bring people in by talking about the positives or keeping the conversation upbeat in the beginning allows you to get deeper later on. And I think that's something that's a struggle because, you know, this industry can be really frustrating and you can be upset about it because there's all kinds of messes going on. But at the same time, like if we want to get further faster, I think we have to keep that kind of um, optimistic approach to the start of the conversation, especially for people that are just getting interested in it and want to learn more. I mean, I don't want to shut them down. I want them to feel like they can be part of the conversation and join the community and gradually learn more. So again, it's this mental struggle between knowing all the negatives ourselves, but then also trying to communicate the positives up front in order for, you know, more people to come into this space and for this movement to grow. Yeah, I think that that's really important because the negative approach, you know, if you just think back and you learn through psychology, it doesn't necessarily help people feel welcome and it doesn't help people feel like they want to take action when they feel down or when they feel like they realize that they've been doing things that are potentially negative for the world. They don't feel like they want to actually activate. They want to shut it down because it's like a natural response to like, I don't want to think about that. Then I have to like realize that I was doing things that were maybe negatively impacting the world. There's really an art to getting our messages across. And you're a storyteller. I think that's a spot on way to describe who you are because you communicate sustainability through so many different ways, through talking, through writing, and also through visual storytelling. Across all of these different methods of communication, what do you think is integral to effective storytelling? That is a really good question. <laughs> I think <laughs> that is a super good question. I think they're all really valuable in different ways. And I think that being able to utilize them at different moments in time or for different audiences is really valuable. So for for me, audio has become a really powerful way to start a kind of revolutionary conversation in an open and inclusive way. And I think audio allows us to do that because it's it's one of those spaces where it gets super intimate really fast. How do you think we can build this inclusivity to other formats of content? I think it has to do with a lot of different layers, but, you know, representation is one. So if we're thinking about visual storytelling, it needs to be like beyond just a white skinny woman being the representation. And so I think that's one way that we can gradually work on that. Um, I think when it comes to writing, I think nowadays there's so much content out there. And I think that telling the story through writing is really important, but without visual storytelling or audio or something else integrated, I think it can get really overwhelming and it's hard to be able to get much out of it. And so I think, I think it's, it's really the power of utilizing many together is where we're going to get more of a good response. Yeah, different mediums resonate more deeply with different people. So we really need multimedia to tell this story. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of that because, you know, it's not like a simple story. That's the thing is it's really challenging because it's not just 
well, this is the this is the way sustainable fashion works, and this is like check this box and move forward. It's really complicated, intricate conversation, and I think because of that, we need to constantly be iterating on how we're telling the story, and constantly be be reading and watching and listening and being part of, you know, other people's conversations, so we can always work on it. Because I don't have it figured out, that's for sure. But I think the fact is it's never going to be figured out. Like we always just need to be continuously working on it. Yeah, I feel like something else that makes you a really powerful storyteller is your ability to somehow balance staying objective telling the stories while also expressing your opinions. What are your thoughts on balancing these two things? Hmm. It's That's very challenging. It's something that I have been working on for a long time. And I think throughout my life, I've grown up in a lot of public spaces. So I grew up working in a restaurant and then I've worked in PR over the years or at events. And through all of these kind of different areas, I was always trying to find the balance between sharing a bit of who I was, but also being professional. And I think that has kind of helped me hone in on this way of way of speaking and way of communicating. But I think it's really important to have kind of a basic framework of what your morals are or, you know, kind of like these are things that are really important to you and to not stray from them. And and that helps, I think, with kind of having um, my own backbone and sharing my opinions. But I also like to share a lot of different opinions that aren't the same as mine, because I think there's a value in that. And that is another way that allows the conversation to expand faster because someone might have a slightly different opinion than me and they might connect more with a guest I have on the show that, you know, speaks a bit different about it. And if that helps them, you know, get more motivated, I'm like all for that. So it's kind of a tricky balance, but I try to maintain the morals that are really important to me, which are, you know, human rights and, you know, caring for the environment. But I think, for me, I always go back to like, all right, are people being respected? And then that's kind of my my core that I try to hold on to throughout. Mm-hmm. So it's first and foremost about knowing yourself and knowing your own values and what you stand for. And then it's also about learning from other people and being respectful of other people's opinions and wherever they come from. Yeah. And there's so much we can learn from people that have opinions different than ours. I mean, if someone I'm talking to has a totally different idea that I'm going to learn more if I'm able to say, well, why do you think that? Or what is it that led you to have that idea? Or do you have examples that can explain why you've crafted that framework of of this opinion? You know, I think there's so much we can learn from that. And so instead of just shutting down a conversation, the more questions we ask, which is one of those things that I think helps me always learn more is just like asking more questions that allows me to learn more. And I guess I always go back to being really interested in the psychology of how we interact with the world. So I'm like, well, why is it that you think that? And what are these experiences that have kind of helped you craft this idea? For sure. Well, you're always up to something incredible. Uh, With everything that you've already learned and accomplished, what's next for you? And how do you hope to keep furthering this conversation of sustainability and fashion? Yeah, well, there's a lot of really good episodes coming down the line. And I'm also working on 
a couple side projects. I'm working on another podcast, which is called Advantage, which is with uh, a co-producer who is the founder of Helsinki Fashion Week. Um, so I'm working on that. And then I'm also developing a four-part series for Conscious Chatter, but in collaboration with Dominique of Melanin and Sustainable Style. She was on my show recently, and we are diving into uh, conversations that get deeper about race relations and cultural context that often get left out of the sustainable fashion conversation. So those uh, will be coming down the line as well. So there's a, there's a lot more, but those are a couple that are top of mind. Awesome. Well, I'm seeing your value and collaboration coming through with all these projects. So that's super inspiring. And we'll be learning from you with all these things. Where can we follow you online and on social media to stay posted on all of these projects? Yeah. So if you want to listen to the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast app is. And you can find me on Instagram at Conscious Chatter. A key challenge for conscious fashion and lifestyle brands today is the ability to reach the mainstream market. So when I learned about our sponsor, Connecta, I knew I had to share its work with you. Essentially, after you apply, you get direct access to sell your products wholesale directly to Connecta's existing network of buyers from around the world. If you're a control freak like I am, that's totally fine because you will have total control over your own digital showroom, profile, and the wholesale process. On the flip side, if you're looking for beautiful, mindfully made products to sell in your store, you can also sign up to discover new conscious brands and really streamline your buying process using the platform. To learn more and to get started for free, just head to connecta.co. That's K-A-N-E-K-T-A dot C-O. And now on to our final five and key takeaways. Let's power through. What is one social media account or publication you follow that really uplifts you? There's a woman named Cleo Wade. She's a poet and a storyteller, and she's actually about to release a new book called Heart Talk, Poetic Wisdom for a Better Life. And I'm really excited about that. She is just like a really powerful storyteller and has a really positive voice. Mm, We'll have to check that out. What do you tell yourself to stay inspired and motivated to keep going? There's a quote keeping on the Cleo Wade uh, kind of (laughs) wavelength here. She has a quote that says, my favorite thing about everything is that you have the power to change anything. Whoa. Okay. Need to (laughs) let that marinate a little bit. What's one action we can try out this week for our planet's health? Uh, One small thing that I have tried to bring into my life over the last several years is using a reusable mug. You know, I have it in my bag or in my car. And then whenever I order coffee or tea when I'm out, I can use that. And it's like a really simple step. But if you just, you know, integrate it into your lifestyle, it can save a lot of uh, disposable cups. Yeah, a small thing can go a long way. Um, What makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? So the next generation of activists who are pushing to ask a lot more questions and really get deeper about the issues to inspire change. When you asked me this question, I immediately thought of Shutezkat Martinez, who is like a young activist, part of a group called Earth Guardians. And he's 16. And he was six years old when he started speaking around the world and at like UN events. And his whole thing is really to inspire the younger generation to stand up for the earth that they are basically inheriting. 
And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? I guess everyone has a million things going on in their life. So I always try to remember to not get overwhelmed by all the things that you think you should be doing. And I always suggest searching for that issue that's really important to you personally and starting there. You know, read more about it, follow bloggers or websites that talk about it. Start finding ways you can bring that idea into the way you interact with the world and gradually be open to, to constantly learning more. Prioritize, focus on one thing at a time, and don't get overwhelmed. Green Dreamer, here are my two takeaways for you. Number one, don't get stuck in perfection paralysis. You'll learn as you go. We just have to, you know, dive in, stay curious, and then just allow ourselves to learn along the way. Number two, with sustainability being a really complex topic, we have to leverage multimedia to be able to comprehensively storytell this complexity. What this means for us as creatives and passionate advocates is that we should give ourselves the time and space to experiment, see what types of platforms we're going to be best at. Is it video, short form writing, long form writing, photography, design, speaking, etc. Just experiment because this message of sustainability needs to be told in as many different ways ways as possible by as many different people as possible. And you're going to be a key part of this. So just keep going. We need your unique perspective, voice, and creative talents to help us move the needle forward. But there, that's a wrap for this episode. You can find the full show notes as well as link to our sponsor, Connecta, at greendreamer.com. Get in touch with me on Instagram at Kamea Shane and always feel welcome to share your feedback to help me improve this listening experience for you at hello at greendreamer.com. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer, I will catch you later.